you can learn a culture of Christianity without maintaining the heart of relationship with Christ. Get ready. Live as though it could happen at any time. And so I think that we need to, the best way to be ready for the end times is have your heart clean before God all the time. Today on Moody Presents, our focus is on the end times, but in a way that might just seem a bit different. Our teacher is Pastor Mark Job, president of the Moody Bible Institute and founding pastor of the New Life Community Church in Chicago. I'm John Geiger welcoming you to this study that has so much to do with us in the here and now. You know, you think about it, there's been a lot written through the years about the end times, books, poems, songs. And today we open the book of Revelation, the authority on end times. Our goal in this study, to go deeper spiritually. Let's learn what God communicated to the seven churches so that you and I don't make the same mistakes they made. We're going to open the doors to one particular church today, the church at Sardis. Here now is Pastor Mark Job on Moody Presents. Turn to the last book of the Bible. It's called the book of Revelation. It's called Revelation because there was a man by the name of John who was on an island as a prisoner, and he received a dream, a revelation, a vision from God. And, hey, you've never had a dream this long. Uh, This is like, uh, this is chapters and chapters of a dream, uh, of a vision that God gave. This is 22 chapters of a vision. I know some of you have had long dreams, but never this long, 22 chapters long. And if you look at the book of Revelation, it's primarily about the end times. Some of you avoid it like the plague because it's a scary book. I had one brother tell me a couple weeks ago, he said, I've never gone close to the book of Revelation because it scares me. Because there's end time and apocalypse and blood and horns and death and, and nations invading nations. And he says, it just scares me. So I've stayed away from it. But I believe that uh, if you really understand the book of Revelation and the last chapters of the Bible, the great thing is God is in control even of the end. And God is in control of the end of the world and the end of times. And there are prophetic words given. This was written over 2,000 years ago. And Although it was written 2,000 years ago, there are prophecies that we will see completed in today's day and age, that our eyes and lives will see those prophecies completed. So it's it's a really, really challenging, powerful book. The bottom line of Revelation is that Jesus in the end, God wins in the end. We need to be ready because we don't know the season or the time. And some of you are the kind that put up, some of you avoid it completely and others of you obsess about it. You got charts on your wall and you got pictures saying, I think he's the Antichrist, the next one. And I seen a sign and you're reading everything you can about Israel and the building of the temple and the invasions and, and, and you're trying to figure out when is the time and the date of the end. Here's the thing. No one knows the time or the date of the end. But what we are told is get ready. Live as though it could happen at any time. 
And so I think that we need to, the best way to be ready for the end times is have your heart clean before God all the time. Not only because of the end of the world could come, but because you could have a heart attack and have to stand before your maker very soon. You're not, you, some of you are saying, I got a lot of time. Maybe you have a lot of time, but maybe you have hours. God forbid. I hope you have a long, successful, healthy life. But one thing is for sure is that death comes to everybody and we will all stand before our maker. But the first few chapters of Revelation are about how we get ready. And so a lot of Revelation talks about prophecy in the end times, but the first few chapters are really letters to churches. And there's seven churches that receive letters written specifically to those churches given by the Spirit of God. Those seven churches are found in what was then called Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. The island of Patmos is, be, is on the Aegean Sea, if you know a little bit of your geography. It's right between Turkey and Greece, and, and, and right in the middle is an island called Patmos, which, where John received his revelation. The seven churches are in Turkey, and they're, they're about no more than 70 to 100 miles apart, and God was writing some letters to them, and the letters in essence say this. He looks at the churches and he says, I know you. I know your deeds. And then he talks about the good things about them. The things they're getting A's and A pluses and B's in. And then he talks about the bad things, the things they're getting D's and F's in. And so this is what, this is what you have wrong. And then typically he tells them what to do, how to correct it, and he gives them a warning. If you don't correct it, here is what's going to happen to you. So pretty much all the seven letters follow that pattern. Um, I know you, here's what you have right, here's what you have wrong, and here's what you do, need to do to correct it. Now, what we're looking at is the church of Sardis, the church of Sardis. So if you take your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at the church of Sardis as we continue on in our series, Going Deeper. It says in verse 1 of chapter 3, To the angel of the church in Sardis I write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. These are the words of him. Words of who? Well, we read in the early part of Revelation, the first chapter, that Jesus is the one who holds the lampstand. The number seven is, the, is, is a number symbolizing perfection. The seven spirits are, the, are referring to the angels that watch over those churches, and the stars have to do with the guiding of God upon those churches, the light of God upon those churches. So in essence, he's saying, this is Jesus speaking to the churches. Now, he talks to the congregation. These are literal, true congregations, the congregation that was in Sardis, and he says to them, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but aha, you are dead. Wow, what a letter. What a phrase to start with. Now, in essence, what Jesus was saying to this church 
is that what you are on the outside is not what you are on the inside. What people think you are is not really what you are. Because I have dug deeper and I've looked beyond the exterior and I've looked beyond your name and beyond your reputation and I've looked at your heart and your heart does not match your name. Now, if I were to bring a, a, a can of food to you and say, what's in this can of food? What would you do? You would look at the what? You'd look at the label because the label is outside on the can of food and it says there are peaches in this can. And so you'd look at the ingredient and it tells you exactly what's in that can. But if I were to take three or four cans and I were to take all the labels off and I were to say, hey, what are in these cans? You would say, uh, shake it, move it. Uh, no idea. I have no idea what are in those cans because there's no label. You see, your label tells you generally what's inside. Now, if I were to take those cans and I were to switch labels and I were to say, what's in this can? You would say peaches. And then when you open it up, you find tuna fish. You need to say, wait a second. The label doesn't match the content. There's something wrong here because the label says the label says it's peaches, but when I opened it up, I found tuna fish. There's something wrong here. What it says on the outside does not match what is on the inside. And that's exactly what the Spirit of God is saying to this congregation. He's saying, on the outside, you have a reputation of being alive, spiritually vibrant. Uh, you have a reputation of, of being a, a, a church that, a congregation that is engaged spiritually and alive and things are happening and there's noise and there's ruckus and there's, there, there seems to be a lot of activity and a lot of good things. But I've looked beyond the noise, I've looked beyond the external, and I'm looking inside, and what I see on the inside doesn't match what people are saying on the outside. Oh, this is a powerful word. Whoo, it's a powerful word. And so he says to them, you need to do something about it. Now, I believe that if you look at what it means to be alive and dead, we're talking spiritually, by the way, alive and dead. I believe there's a lot of areas in life that we allow to become deadened to. That, 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 that we have a reputation of being alive, but if we're not careful, what we have starts to die out. It's not unlike a marriage. Uh, some of you started your dating relationship years ago, 20 years ago, and, and there was a lot of flame and sparks and fire and passion and pursuit and, 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 and uh, uh, courting and flowers. And uh, there was a lot of that, a lot of those sparks happening in the beginning. But especially on a man's side, uh, what happens with many men who, who like challenges, once they put the ring on the finger, then they say, okay, I got her. Now let's move on to the next challenge. 
And so you go in your life and you say, well, I'm married. Yeah, we've been married for 20 years. But unless you watch it, um, you could say the same thing. You have a reputation of being alive, but in reality, you're dead. See, what happens in a relationship is you can still sleep in the same bed and you can still live in the same house and you can still sign the same last name and you can still take your family photo together and put your arm around each other for the family photo. But if you're not careful, you can also allow your heart to become slowly but surely less and less engaged and less and less passionate and less and less um, uh, committed and involved and loving. And so you can wake up one day and you can realize that although you have a reputation of being married for many years and maybe even happily married, so to speak, for many years, that you can be in a relationship and have a marriage, but your heart your heart has grown astray. And then you need to fan that. You need to strengthen that. You need to awaken it up so that you, although you're married already, so that you are really engaged in your marriage. Are you tracking with me? Just go like this because this is, this is important. Thank you for joining us today in our study of the Church of Sardis. Much more is coming, but I want to remind you about all the resources that are available right now at our moodypresents.org website. Did you know that we have internet radio stations? There's Southern Gospel, Praise and Worship, Proclaim Radio, featuring timeless messages. And you'll find links to all of these at moodypresents.org. What do you say we head back to today's study with our teacher, Mark Job? This message is not about marriage, but hey, if God is speaking to you about marriage, then let it be. But it's about our spiritual walk with God, which in essence is a type of marriage. It's a commitment that we make, a long-term commitment. And so here's what the Spirit of God says to this church. I love that he's so direct. God doesn't beat around the bush typically. He likes to speak directly to our hearts. He gives them a step-by-step -step process of how to awaken spiritually inside, how to get out of their spiritual deadness. And he gives them five short commands. These are like staccato commands. These are um, small, powerful phrases. He says to them, first of all, he, he, if you read in verse two, he says, wake up. Secondly, strengthen what remains. Thirdly, remember what you've received. Fourthly, obey it. And last, repent. Five very clear, strong commands to wake up. Listen to me uh, this, this morning, this afternoon. Listen, this is really, really important. If you are here today and you know that spiritually you are not very alive, you've let things die inside of you, you've let the flame die, you've let the passion go, you've let your energy level dwindle spiritually, then you need to hear these words because these words are powerful, they're wake-up words, all right? Now, I want to talk to you about each one of these words briefly because each one of these words are really important for you to follow through on. Number one, wake up. 
wake up. How many of you know you can do something but do it half asleep? How many of you can drive down the expressway or drive down a road that leads to your house and you could do it almost in, in, in neutral, like your brain doesn't even have to think. You just kind of get in the car and you could be thinking about a lot of things. Or have you ever been on a trip where you're really, really tired but you're still driving? Now, you're not supposed to do that, by the way. Get really, you're supposed to pull to the side of the road and take a little nap, but I have to admit, I'm not really good at that. When I'm tired, I try to wake myself up. I, have you ever driven down a long trip, you just kind of drive in and, and, and everything looks like a television, a blur, and, and you just kind of drive in, you forget where you're at, you don't know what speed you're going, because you're just kind of on autopilot, trying to keep your eyes awake. And, and then... You have the scary experience of actually starting to swerve off the road and wake yourself up. Has that ever happened to anybody? Hey, that's super dangerous, really, really dangerous. But, but, but have you ever felt the adrenaline like, whoa, like, hey, I almost had a car accident. And you roll down the window, you force yourself to wake up. You realize I'm sleeping. So you roll down the window, you slap yourself on the face, you sing, you stretch, you, you, uh, uh, you, you, you do whatever it takes to, to try to uh, stay awake. I've done that. I've slapped myself on the cheek before. I've, I've rolled down the window, stuck my head out there a little bit. I've, you know, gone like this and like that and try to stretch my leg. I'm just trying to wake up because I know I have to wake up. I'm kind of falling asleep here. And what happens in life, even in our, in, in our spiritual life, you can find yourself going through the motions but without being really awake inside. Uh, you ladies have experienced this before. You're in a conversation with your husband, right? And he's saying, uh-huh, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, uh-huh, mm-hmm. And you notice he's saying, uh-huh, at the wrong times. You know, he's just kind of, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You say, wait a second, did you even hear a word that I said? And he says, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. And then he scrambles to think of the last phrase you said to try to prove to you that he was really listening, right? Come on, ladies, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And guys are really good at everything and like, what did you, yeah, yeah, you said this. We do it all the time. We go through motions, but we're not present. We can go through emotions but not really be present there. Hey, you know, you, I'm not even going to ask how many of you have already done that in this service. <laughs> I look at your face and you're like this looking at me. <laughs> but I know some of you have like checked out, you've walked out in the foyer, you're in your mind, you've gone outside the door, checked on your car, wonder if it's okay. You've gone to your office and thought, man, I got some paperwork to fill out and uh, that, that that ex hey, I haven't done my taxes yet, man. Those are due pretty soon. And what am I going to do for lunch? And then you come back and say, oh, I'm in service, all right. And you're, you, you mm. <laughs> You can be physically present, but not really there. Engaged mentally, emotionally, spiritually. That, that happens all the time. Uh, when you move to Chicago, if you're not from Chicago, you could come here and realize, hey, everybody's into the Bears. 
And so you go, buy, you go out and you buy your, your, your blue and orange and white hat with the bear's emblem and put it on and you get the coat and you get the little flag uh, and, and you can get all the clothes and you can go and sit in the bear section of the bleachers and pay $150 a ticket and you can wave and you can scream. But in reality, you're a Packers fan because you're from Wisconsin. And so, you know, you have the, yeah, right. I'm glad that elicits a strong response out of this crowd. And here's the thing. You can act the part and dress, dress, the, dress in the clothes and know the lingo, but your heart is not really there. Now, spiritually speaking, here's how it works. Some of us have learned a culture of Christianity. You've been around Christianity enough because maybe you grew up around the church or maybe you've hung around long enough so that you know the songs and you know the words. You know the verses and you have the Bible. Uh, you know phrases like, praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. You learned those phrases. You didn't know them before, but then you learned them. You say, okay, those, those are the phrases that, that, that I say. You found other substitutes for your expletives before. So you say things like stink instead of other words. And um, you, you've, you've, learned, you've learned how to, how, how to come to church and, and, and how to dress appropriately. And you know how to uh, sing with the choruses. And, and you, you know how to pray. And you know how to say a prayer in Jesus' name, amen. And, and, and you know those things. In fact, some of you have been around Christianity so long, you've always known them. You've grown up in that culture. But here's the problem. Sometimes we can learn a culture. We can learn a culture, but not have the heart. You realize that? You can, you can learn a culture of Christianity without maintaining the heart of relationship with Christ. And then it's dangerous. Because then what it becomes is it becomes religion rather than relationship. It becomes ritual rather than something that's real and authentic to our heart and to our soul. Do you realize that the churches all across Chicagoland, there's churches that, that, that have, that many, many churches have people like that? That they're, they're going, they know a tradition, they know a ritual, but their heart is far from God. And so the word to this church of Sardis says, do not become like that. The label on the outside needs to match the label on the inside. Uh, what it says on the outside, Christian has to match what's on the inside. And so he says, wake up, wake up, realize what's going on. Pay attention. Actually, the, the exact translation of that word is show yourself to be watchful, be alert. Listen, sometimes there has to be things in our life that jerk us alive. It's like the little uh, grooves on the side of the road. Uh, you know why those grooves are on the side of the road while you're driving? Have you ever felt them? Because you go to the side of the road, you like that, your car starts going like that. Those are there so that when you get distracted or tired and you start going off the side of the road, you could feel the and then it wakes you up. 
Sometimes we need a wake-up call in our life. Sometimes we need the grooves on the side of the road, our spiritual road, to like, hey, wait a second, I'm going off track. And that can come in a lot of different ways. But hopefully the most powerful way it comes is a wake-up call from the Spirit of God. When you're at a hotel, you may call down to the front desk and say, hey, I'm going to be sleeping. Could you give me a wake-up call at 5.30 in the morning? The reason you ask for a wake-up call is because you know that when you're sleeping, you may, you may, lose, track of, uh, 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 you may lose track and not be able to wake up on your own, so you ask for a wake-up call. Some of you need to pray, oh, God, give me a wake-up call. But it's a bit of a dangerous prayer. I got to admit, it's a bit of a dangerous prayer. Because what wakes you up is something that shocks you a little bit. Uh, some of you have had a wake-up call in the, in, in the form of a marital crisis. Some of you have had a wake-up call in the form of a, of a diagnosis from a doctor. Some of you have had a wake-up call in the form of troubles at your job or a pending pink slip. Some of you have had wake-up calls through nightmares. Some of you have had wake-up calls through uh, relational tension. But it has to be something that grabs our attention, something that does not let us go, something that makes us look up, wake up, and say, hold on a second. If I don't do something, well, I could end up in a lot of trouble here. It's God's gift to you in the form of a ring in your spirit, a wake-up call that shakes you out of your slumber, that takes you from just going to church to seeking God, that takes you from just quoting a prayer to really talking to God, that takes you from being slightly interested in spiritual things to opening up your heart and say, God, I need you in my life. That's a wake-up call. A wake-up call we absolutely must heed. You know, here at Moody Presents, it's our prayer that this message series is taking you deeper in your own spirituality, deeper in your walk with Christ. Next week, we'll continue our look at the church at Sardis, discovering some commands that you and I must obey. Thanks for telling a friend about Moody Presents, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.